This is Gotham TV Podcast, episode 122, about Gotham at Dark Knight, season 4, episode 17, Mandatory Brunch Meeting. I'm David Mazuz, and you're listening to Gotham TV Podcast. This is Drew Powell, and you're listening to Gotham TV Podcast. This is Robin Lord Taylor, and you are listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Welcome back to Gotham TV Podcast, fellow Gothamites and fellow detectives. I'm Derek, one of your hosts, and we're here for our first mandatory brunch meeting. Yes, welcome to the brunch meeting, fellow Gothamites. Uh, I am one of your other hosts, John, for this scrummy meeting of Gothamites and detectives as we look into episode 17 of Gotham, where the Legion of Horribles decide to have breakfast. Mm -hmm. Or should I say brunch? Somewhere in between breakfast and lunch, right? Yes. Did you used to have mandatory breakfast meetings and mandatory lunch meetings in work? I always did. We certainly have breakfast meetings. Uh We've not had brunch meetings. But brunch is the meal of winners um, with Eggs Benedict... Eggs Florentine, a stack of pancakes, lots of coffee, lots of orange juice, and just a more reasonable and civilized hour to rise up from the snoozy bedkins. You're making me hungry now, John. Uh, let's get into this episode. And Gothamites, always remember, you can go over to our website at gothamtvpodcast.com to find our podcast on any good or evil podcast catcher. And you can also leave us a voicemail over there uh, at that website at gothamtvpodcast.com. Just go onto the right-hand side button, click the button there, and leave your thoughts about any of the episodes so far in the series. Yes, and of course, you can email us at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. Just head on over to the website, as Derek has said. And of course... All your thoughts, discussion points, comments, observations, Easter eggs, little bits of knowledge are always very, very welcome. Mm -hmm. So, Derek, with the spoiler-filled review that we're about to get into for episode 17, what are some of the episode details? This episode was directed by Maya Ravillo, who has previously done episodes of Gotham before. She directed episode 17 of season 3, The Primal Riddle. You'll definitely remember that episode because it was where the Riddler threatened Mayor Aubrey on TV so that he could find out who the Court of Elves were. Uh, and it had the first big villain team up as well, where Penguin and Ivy got Firefly and Mr. Freeze together. They seem to form a good part of any legion in Gotham, don't they? Yes, they are one of the horribles in this massive team-up of horrible people Mm -hmm. in Gotham. Yeah. Um, Definitely. Yeah, looking forward to this episode. And certainly she did a great job there with that episode uh, in season three. Yeah, definitely. And it was written by Stephen Lillian and Brian Wildebrandt. We've spoken about these guys so often on this podcast. Uh, They've done some fantastic episodes, including the Primal Riddle, the one I was speaking about earlier on that Maya directed last season. We were kind of concerned that they were going to be going off to do their own show and we wouldn't get them on Gotham. I hope they never lose these guys as a writing team on Gotham. They just do such great work with all of the characters they have to pull together. Really, really good to have them on board and and keeping writing episodes of the show. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis of the episode? Sure. As the Legion of Horribles make their plans, Jim and Harvey try to stay one step ahead as Jerome zeroes in on his next target, a recluse structural engineer by the name of Xander Wilde. Not all of the Legion are bought into Jerome's plans, however, as Oswald struggles with the plan to paint the town. (laughs) He goes to see Butch with a proposition to reclaim Gotham side by side and promises a cure for Grundy's swampy condition to sweeten the deal. Jerome closes in on Xander's proxy, Echo, who is his eyes and ears in Gotham, but he underestimates his prey as Jerome is captured and brought to Wilde's underground concrete bunker home. Meanwhile, Nygma hosts a deadly riddle game at the Riddle Factory in the Narrows, but Lee Tompkins intervenes to put a stop to his game show murder, challenging the Riddler to beat him with a conundrum that stumps both Ed Nygma and the Riddler. In an underground home, Xander Wilde is visited by Jim and Harvey, who discover that Xander is in fact Jerome's long-lost brother, Jeremiah Velasca, who was separated from his sadistic brother as a young child. 
A Scarecrow and Tetch rescue Jerome, Jeremiah is taken to a GCPD safe house. But back at the Legion's headquarters, Scarecrow uncovers and tests a smiley chemical compound that will give the city of Gotham that one bad day moment. Such awesome, awesome stuff going on in this episode. And yes, that reference to the killing joke with the one bad day that will turn you two into a person like Jerome, but not necessarily Jerome. Yeah. <laughs> and a smiley chemical. It's going to be all smiles in Gotham, methinks. Yes, yes. Very, very cool. And then lots of tears. Lots and lots of tears. And probably lots of death, too. <laughs> Let's get into our case notes for this episode, John. Uh, one thing did jump out from our synopsis there. Our first case note is a cure for Grundy? Yes. Grundy may be non-Grundy in the coming future. And we get a reference back to Professor Hugo Strange as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, I really, really enjoyed this. The Penguin is going out on a limb here. He's not necessarily entirely bought into Jerome's big master plan. And I don't think really Penguin is the kind of person that wants to share Gotham with this legion of horribles that are around the brunch table. I, I mean, I love the fact that all the way through that brunch meeting... He's kind of looking at everyone going, this is not where I'm supposed to be. Mm -hmm. He's really got a, an eye of distaste and he's really suspicious of everything that Jerome says here and probably his motives as well. He knows how crazy this guy is. Mm -hmm. um, and I love the kind of suspicion that Oswald has here. And so he heads off to find Grundy to try and persuade him to come back to his side where they can once this plan to paint the town. He's a little fuzzy on the details of actually <laughs> what's going to happen. Um, then him and Grundy can take over the underworld and start from where they last left off. He really wants Grundy by his side here, but Grundy is definitely not sold on the idea of teaming back up with the Penguin again. Mm. Yeah, it's very interesting, isn't it? I like that they've kept this idea that Oswald is the smartest guy in every room he goes into. Very smart. If Jerome Velasquez is looking for a place to host his brunch meeting, hey, offer your services. As he says, anything for an old friend. Very smart of him. Even though he's not sold, he's going to go along with it so that he doesn't become a target of Jerome, I think. Uh, very important for Oswald to keep those positions. But yeah, really like this interplay between Grundy and um, Oswald, or Butch and Oswald, because obviously Butch has his mind back in the body of, of Grundy. Um, I like the kind of mention that the reason why he's down on such hard times is because he's been spurned by Tabitha again and that's all he really wants is to get back to Tabitha but he knows being Grundy he won't be able to get back there so is Oswald playing with him is Oswald just trying to use the best method he can to try and convince Grundy to come back with him or does he really think that Professor Strange may be able to cure him yeah, I mean, we have seen the Penguin use false promises before. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of episodes ago, Mr. Freeze was definitely suspicious of Oswald when mm -hmm. he came looking for his help again, saying that he had promised him a cure for his own. So again, I think here, Oswald is probably sweetening the deal with a complete outright lie here. Although that is not to say that Professor Strange cannot cure this this swampy sponge that is Grundy at the moment. Um, but certainly, uh, it's enough at this moment. You know, if, if nothing else, Oswald is expedient with what he says so mm -hmm. that he can get um, what he wants at, in that moment. So I suspect it may not play out as Grundy thought or as Butch thinks uh, with this cure. You never know, though, yeah. um, because that swamp was such a toxic mixture that who knows what was in it. It wasn't just simply one thing. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's true. But there was a lot of stuff from Indian Hill. So nice little references back there. I hope we get to see B.D. Wong back on the show as Professor Strange in the future. Uh, he's been such a great presence in the show in the past. Really enjoyed it. I also like the little reference there when Penguin says to Grundy, with my brains and your strength, we can take over this city. And that's almost exactly the same promise that Riddler or Enigma made to him uh, earlier on in the season. And Grundy's having none of it. He doesn't want to be used again. He's changed a lot. And now that he has his mind back, he doesn't want to be pushed around anymore. So he wants to be equal partners with Penguin. That doesn't generally work out very well for a lot of people who try to work with Penguin. Though. No, and ultimately Grundy says you had better deliver. It's the mm -hmm. only reason why he is going along with Oswald's offer here yeah. is 
on the promise of this cure. Uh, and he is fairly ominous, really, there saying, you had better deliver. Yeah. I really like the idea as well that, you know, um, Grundy was with Ed to begin with, uh, and they came together in that really nice part earlier on in the season uh, at the fight club there uh, and getting involved with, with Lee Tompkins there now as the, the queen of the Narrows. I really like that team up, and I think it's really nice here that the other part of uh, Nick Mogglepot uh, now is also going to Grundy and promising this team up. Um, will, as you say, it fall flat like it did with Ed Nigma because ultimately the Riddler burst out of his cocoon uh, and really chucked Grundy to one side. But let's hope, hey? I mean, that's it, really. Do we like Grundy within the show? I mean, I do. And I like the fact that it is a butch in there, mm-hmm. but he inhabits the body of Grundy rather than him simply kind of being this simpleton. And I think, you know, the comics have moved him away from purely being that simple guy. He is much more complex uh, and deep as a character. And I think the butch element of Grundy really adds that, and certainly with Tabitha. So I would have to say that I definitely would miss Grundy, mm-hmm. um, and I wish they would play him a bit more. To be honest, I think him lurking in the bar drinking, um, it's good really to to see him back on the screen. So I would miss Grundy if he was cured, but also I would absolutely embrace Butch Gilzean coming back as well. Yeah, especially with his now super strength that he's achieved from Grundy. Uh, We do have to have Grundy eventually, John, though, as, as you say, he's a big character in the comic books. He's been used quite a lot, so... He will eventually go back to Grundy. I don't know whether they're going to convert him back to Butch and then back to Grundy again. I wonder if it is something like Professor Strange is going to be able to enable him to keep his mind um, intact. But that's maybe it. But a really exciting moment for us Grundy fans and Butch supporters to see uh, these characters back on screen together and potentially working together as well. Exactly. But what time is it, Derek? For Case Note 2. I think it's Riddle time at the Riddle Factory for it Case Note 2. It certainly is. Yes, the Riddle Factory. Um, I love this. In fact, the fact that all the contestants were absolutely on a hiding to nothing. And I mean, you know, all manner of different fates awaited them. And mm-hmm. all of them involved deathy, murdery, death, death, well, um, to yes. be honest. Or pure mutilation at the hands if a rabid sack of rats actually does have hands. Uh, But that guy that we see at the beginning really had no hope of swindling the the riddle that um, Ed Nigma had challenged him to. Yeah, I really like that because this is exactly me when I get riddles. I just look around a room to find inspiration. Maybe the reason why the riddle is so obvious to other people is because well maybe they saw something in the room so i like that he goes um i have no idea here maybe it's the egg timer Uh, this is is his response and unfortunately incorrectly it was just a bit of wordplay uh, which he could have picked up but um yes a rabbit sack of rats awaited him unfortunately just a quick mention on the rabbit sack of rats from doug green one of our fellow gothamites who mentioned that this is something that comes straight out of george orwell's 1984 rats were used as a form of punishment by the government uh, in that movie and that book, uh, George Orwell's uh, 1984. Good catch, Doug. Yes, good good catch indeed. Yes, it was also a f- very popular form of punishment in ancient China as well. Interesting. Very yes. interesting. But there's some great stuff in here. I love the conversations between Leslie and Ed where she's trying to work out what he's doing. Why is he doing this to the citizens of the Narrows? He, he has been their protector just like Leslie has for the last, last season or so. And suddenly he's created this game riddle time at the riddle factory to punish really the people of narrows who aren't as smart as him basically which is basically all of them it would seem other than leslie Tompkins. yes absolutely she is one of the smartest women in gotham we've known that for a long time probably the smartest decision was getting away from jim gordon and going and setting up her own uh, business in in the narrows to protect the people there Uh, really smart lady so uh, when she goes up against a riddler very interesting that she does complete his riddle to her by using him against himself effectively, by getting him into an argument and he tells her what it is that he's getting at with his riddle. He's not actually testing her, he's telling her what it is that he doesn't like about her, which is that she broke the promise to Ed to cure him and get the Riddler back, so Riddler doesn't like her at all. Not at all, yeah, I mean, but she then plays one of the simplest riddles in order to stump him, because mm-hmm. he can't say the words, 
I love you because yeah. is it the Riddler saying that to Leslie Tompkins or is it Ed Nigma because of the feelings that they had together? So a really nice little um, sort of catch-22 that she puts the Riddler in here. Absolutely, and it's really important here that Leslie knows and knew that Ed had feelings for her. That never came out during the show. We saw it as the audience. We saw him talking to himself and saying, I'm in love with Leslie Tompkins. But he didn't say it to her. They didn't actually have a relationship in the past. But it's interesting to know that she always knew that there was something going on there with Ed. And that's why he was staying around and helping her out was because he had feelings for her. So I like that they've used that in this scene to tell us that she always knew and that she's now potentially going into a relationship with Ed when there's another person inside his brain. Like yeah, the Riddler. That's quite cool. Like this will be really interesting to see how it plays out. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering, you know, Leslie Tompkins potentially here can get really, really burnt because mm-hmm. this to me seems like a temporary truce here. Um, and, and there will come that moment where she is having to fight for her life um, in in terms of uh, trying to protect Ed, probably protect herself mm-hmm. from. Uh, the Riddler, you know, this game show, Riddle Time at the Riddle Factory, shows how sadistic he is as well. He is basically putting people through um, a riddle game that he knows they can never win. And of course, that spin wheel um, has no option where it goes walk away safely or, you know, leave unharmed. It is all torture that goes on uh, on that spin wheel. So the dice is loaded here mm-hmm. from the Riddler. Uh, and I love the fact that, you know, he has that about him. He always seeks to gain the advantage, build his advantage, even if it is through, in effect, cheating. Yeah, I totally agree with you. This is based on a comic book. Uh, the Riddle Factory is, is a Riddler starring Batman comic book that was uh, released uh, during the 90s. Um, really interesting that they've t- taken that piece of the comic books and brought it into uh, Gotham. We saw an interview with Corey Michael Smith a few weeks ago uh, on the Build series in, in New York where he was talking about the fact that this is one of the books that prepared him to work on Gotham. It's one of the ones he read when he was preparing his version of Ed Enigma. So quite cool for him, I know, to actually be able to use the comic book that he read to begin with in season four of the show i'm sure that's quite an exciting thing to do definitely and just to mention there was so much talk on twitter the other night when the episode was on about this idea of these two characters getting together and then it was coming out of nowhere a bit and i think it's been set up for quite a few episodes that something was going to happen between the two of them like as i said ed had mentioned that he was in love with leslie tompkins um the slightly stupider Ed, the slightly dumber version of Riddler, he'd mentioned that he was interested, so that had to pay off somehow. I know there's a lot of people out there that want Nick Mobblepop together, but if they get those characters together, they're going to break them apart again. That's absolutely what happens on a drama show. I really like the idea in Gotham where they put two characters together and work the drama out of it, work the drama out of the situation. And there's so much drama to be had here with Leslie Tompkins and Ed Nigma and Riddler in the back of his brain trying to get out and trying to stay out in the world. I think it's a really cool idea to have these two characters together. It feels like it's going to be something quite interesting between the two characters for however long this relationship lasts. Absolutely. Um also, we already know the Riddler's feelings towards Oswald. He's, he's a friend, or he was. Obviously, mm-hmm. they've gone uh, through an awful lot uh, since the Nig Mogglepot sort of bromance that, that happened. Mm-hmm. And Riddler really made it clear that he had no feelings in, in that regard towards him. So um, it would be unusual if the Riddler changed, and if he did, it would be, I think, to, for him to gain an advantage over Oswald, mm-hmm. ultimately. Absolutely. So I do think that, you know, that has been played out, really. A lot of water has gone onto the bridge between these two characters now. So I like this other element. I thought, you know, uh, the Riddler, Ed, Leslie Tompkins, Grundy, in the Narrows, forming this kind of breakaway group of people uh, that were subject to attack and, you know, they were defending their territory. I think it's been really, really a successful part of the season. Yeah. I've really enjoyed that additional dynamic uh, to the season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I suppose if you didn't get the chance to listen to our interview with Robin R. Taylor from last year, he did pretty much definitively say that there is no actual love from Oswald to Ed as well. He was saying that Oswald's a broken character. He's 
not a person really capable of love because of the amount of violence that's inside him. He basically just clung on to the one friend that he had and tried to force a relationship on him, despite the fact there was no interest from Ed on the other side. So uh, quite an interesting idea to have those two completely separated. Now, they seem to be on good terms, as we saw uh, the two of them a few weeks ago back down on the docks again, saying uh, basically back to being friends and saying, I never want to come back down to this yeah, place exactly. again. So, uh, so really good. Let's get on to the big section of this episode, John. Yes, no mandatory brunch meeting is complete without a legion of horribles turning up to be um, waited on by Carl. Use the tongs, Carl. Use the tongs. (laughs) Poor Carl. I know, poor Carl. In fact, he got shot later on, didn't he? Well, because Jerome was playing Russian roulette with the gun because he was trying to work out his frustrations. And ultimately, poor Carl took a bullet um, for not using his tongs. (laughs) Always very important to use the correct utensils during a brunch, isn't it? I definitely. I really also like the, uh, the comment when... Jerome comes up with the idea of the Legion of Horribles. There's one of the waiters that's standing there with a tray, and he says the name and goes, take a note of that. And you see the waiter reaching for a pen in his pocket trying to find something because he knows you got to make sure you do whatever Jerome says, no matter how crazy or wacky it might sound. Just make sure you do it. Keep him on side. It's kind of unfair of Oswald to put all of his staff uh, through this situation. They all seem very, very stressed out. <laughs> Just a bit. And I think there are some ex-inmates uh, of Arkham as there as well, because mm-hmm. I think Carl definitely has the old stripy Arkham outfit going on. Yeah. And um, shame it, we didn't get to see Olga, um, his former maid that was that was in there yeah. in season three. It's a shame that she's not around to maybe manage these guys a little bit better, make them use the right utensils and use the right things. But I know the last time we saw her, she did she did betray Oswald, so we don't really know what's happened to Olga. She's probably shipped herself back to Russia and is keeping uh, a low level to hide from from the wrath of Pengi. Possibly. And speaking of Pengi, of course, he is one of the Legion of Horribles. Mm-hmm. And I suppose the roll call of this Legion is both Penguin, Mad Hatter, Firefly, Mr. Freeze, Scarecrow, and Jerome are all here, all working together. Some of them, as we know from Penguin, not necessarily totally bought into this. And in fact, the plan is not necessarily fully transparent either. One thing that we do learn at this mandatory brunch meeting, though, is that Scarecrow is working on a compound. And I suppose at least initially, um, certainly I was thinking it is his fear toxin. He's building up a supply of his fear toxin. And, you know, we really think that this is what is going to be used by Jerome across Gotham to really paint this town crazy. When asked how it's going by Jerome, Scarecrow replies, it is going terrifyingly, you know, and or horribly or something to that effect, uh-huh. uh, to which I think Jerome is pretty impressed. And he goes, that is absolutely pun worthy. So uh, really, uh, it's a nice little bit of dialogue. And it does give us a little bit of insight that does come back to biters right at the end of this episode as well, which is very cool. It certainly is. I love the fact that all the members of the Legion of Horribles around the table do have their part to play in this plan of Jerome. They're not just pulled together because they are former villains on the show. Everybody there is there for a reason. Penguin, because he has the place to hold the meeting and the resources to fund it effectively. Hatter is there because he's able to manipulate anybody and we hear some really good manipulations going on from Hatter later on in the episode. Firefly is the strength of this group. She's the one that's going to enforce everything that they're doing. And Mr. Freeze is going to provide the labs for the experimentation and testing that's going to be going on for what Scarecrow's doing, what Scarecrow's building. So a really great way to bring all of these guys together. There's a reason they're all there. It's not just because they all have a common enemy like it would have been in the comic books or in the the 1966 show of Batman. It is much more that each person here plays a part in Jerome's plot to, to take over the city but again, I do like the, as you say, Penguin not really understanding what the actual plot is. <laughs> Jerome kind of going, I have a plan. I don't really care what you do to the city and how many people you kill or whatever you, you want to do. That kind of gets them all fired up as well. So that could. Yeah. But, of course, there are people in Gotham who are out to stop Jerome uh, now that him and his fellow villains have escaped from Arkham. Mm-hmm. Uh, bringing us on to case note four. Um, yes, not only do we have Jim and Harvey after um, Jerome, but there is also Bruce and Alfred helping, although they are warned off by Jim. And Jim actually is really 
pretty um, direct to Bruce and to to Alfred as mm-hmm. well. Stay away, otherwise next time you're going to go to court. You know, you're going to be arrested and charged for getting involved. You know, he really sees how much of a threat Jerome is, mm-hmm. and he's not entirely understanding, presumably, why Bruce is so involved, but Bruce still has this moral dilemma. He does say here that you know everything that happens from now on is on him, every yeah. person who is hurt, um, even to the fact of the headmaster at St. Ignatius, where he heads to try and find out who Jerome is looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and here we get the bomb... The headmaster here has been hypnotized by uh, Mad Hatter and, of course, uh, blows himself up just as Jim and Harvey arrive in time. Everyone is safe other than the headmaster, of course. Um, But this is really where Jim and Harvey tell Alfred and Bruce to stay away and to stop interfering. And Jim kind of does have a point. Like, if he hadn't arrived and shouted out just in time, Bruce could have ended off in that explosion and being involved in that explosion there. But I do love the face of pride on Sean Pertwee's Alfred when being asked, did you know about this from Jim Gordon? And he goes, yeah, I did. Um, it's kind of it's it's this kind of challenging moment between the two of them where Jim's trying to speak to the adult who's supposed to be taking care of Bruce Wayne and has done so many times in the past. And the response from Alpha was, yeah, I've got his back. I know exactly what he's doing. Of course I do. And I and I respond and respect him for that. Uh, very good. Very good little moment from uh, from Sean Pertwee. Yeah. And, and Alfred really, you know, he just goes, come along, Master Bruce. Uh, it's almost like they haven't heard what Jim has said mm-hmm. here. Uh, really, really good. Um, but certainly we have a bit more uh, back and forth between this, this foursome here. Uh, and especially because... Uh, they find out that it is a guy called Xander Wilde that they are looking for. Mm-hmm. This is the person who Jerome is looking for, a structural engineer, and he had worked on Wayne Towers. And so Thomas Wayne had kept multiple records of um, all his projects. And here he actually went out to meet this structural engineer who is a huge recluse. He has no social media data on him, has no telephone line, he has no address, ultimately, Mm -hmm. uh, as we would know it normally. Um, But he works through um, a proxy called Echo, who is his eyes and ears, his communication um, to this architectural firm. Yeah, I have to say, I love these scenes inside the architectural firm where (laughs) Jerome arrives with shotgun in hand to try and arrange a meeting with Xander Wilde. Um, But Xander has not been to the building. He's never been there before in the past. But there's some fantastic moments that that uh, arrival of Jim and Harvey in the in the elevator as they arrive. <laughs> it is hilarious. Screaming and running and crying <laughs> from everybody in the building. It's just a mad class- panic. Exactly. Just a classically put together Gotham scene. And the, the lady, the old lady in, in the lift with... Jerome, as he's got his gun um, over his shoulder, I love the fact that he's trying to whistle along with the elevator music, mm-hmm. and he can't because of his his new mouthpiece. Ultimately, yeah. and he goes, "I used to be a good whistler." Yeah, really, really <laughs> good fun. It's um, re- really good. I love you going up to the receptionist and saying to her, "There's no need to go to the to the security guys. They're all kind of well headless." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, just some really, really good moments from Jerome in here, um, but also. Harvey's moment with Jim where they realize that they have to go and ask Bruce's help to sort out this problem and Harvey kind of realizes well the last time you spoke to him like you know two scenes ago you berated Bruce for getting involved and now we have to go and ask him for help he's not gonna like that yeah exactly (laughs) it was really good just the absolute chaos as you mentioned Mm -hmm. one of uh if not the moment of the week uh, for me yeah just such good comedy yeah yeah i also like that they're keeping thomas wayne's knowledge involved in this this is where obviously bruce gets a lot of his abilities is from the fact that his father also kept detailed records about everything that went on so nice little call back to thomas wayne we don't get that much of him very often anymore after they found the cave uh, and the computer of thomas wayne in the last season we haven't really heard too much about thomas wayne so good to have him back involved um i'd like to someday see some flashbacks to thomas wayne in the city of Gotham and see what he was really doing uh, back in those days. 
I'd like to see something like that if we get a season five, which we hopefully will. Maybe that will be something that they'll cover mm. uh, in there and get that kind of history of that character. But let's get on to our final point, because it is obviously the biggest point in the episode. It's Jer- massive. It is. It Jerome Velasca has a brother, mm-hmm. a long lost brother, a brother that he used to terrorize sadistically called Jeremiah Velasca, mm-hmm. but given a new name by his mother and his uncle took him off in the night to safety uh, to stay at the boarding school of St. Ignatius. Um, but he's always known that this brother has always been alive. And finally, what, 12 years later, he says, mm-hmm. uh, he has got him back. However, he does underestimate his brother. His brother has been aware that this could be a possibility. And so Jerome, after terrorizing the architectural firm, heads off to get Jeremiah's proxy, Echo. But she's not all that she looks and is, in fact, a kick-ass, kick-ass lady who... um. I love that scene where she, he goes, do you have a dog? What's the cage for? And she goes, that's what I'm going to transport you in. Yeah. As he gets absolutely played here. Um, or is he doing the playing? It is one of the interesting things always with the Joker is that did he know? Was this planned? Did he care that he was getting um, put into a cage and sent off to a fantastic um I would say home, but it's not bunker or of of Xander Wilds of Jeremiah's. Um, I thought that was a fab set design. I absolutely loved it. I love the fact that it was a maze with only with different ways out of which the person that did find a way out last or the only person that he knows of took three days, whereas yeah. he knows exactly. This is his thing. He's really intelligent, Xander. You know, he's really got uh, a massive brain in that conch of his. So it's really, really interesting. Both Jerome and Jeremiah um, are clever guys. Yeah, definitely. Both played by Cameron Monaghan, obviously. Uh, everybody knows that, but really interested to see him on screen with himself playing two completely different versions of of these characters in, in the show. Really good seeing uh, that moment between them. Really interesting that you called Jerome Joker there by mistake, John. I know it's a mistake because we know Jerome isn't going to be the Joker. That is true. And we, I wonder who will be well, the Joker. Yeah, there is some very interesting stuff in here. And again, we also take a lot of pity on Jeremiah in here, but a fantastic moment in here from Jerome where you find out that all of the stories that Jeremiah has told people about Jerome, uh, threatening him and, and cutting him and beating him, that none of them were true. He was kind of, as as he'd probably say himself, extrapolating on the kind of things that Jerome had, had done in the past, but had never actually threatened Jeremiah. So Jeremiah does have a little bit of a dark side. Yes. And Jerome feels that this is the reason why his mother punished him all of the time and treated him so badly and abused him so badly and eventually led to her death. He murdered her because of the bad treatment that she'd been giving him over the years. And we find out here that it's actually all Jeremiah's fault, at least according to Jerome. Yeah, exactly. The truth is not entirely clear here. Mm. We do have Jeremiah here saying that Jerome, you know, absolutely terrorized him as a kid. You know, you have that uh, moment where he says, uh, you know, he had a proficiency for math and science, but Jerome had a proficiency for killing back alley cats. <laughs> you know, Jeremiah is really painting a picture here of a troubled young child yeah. who terrorized him, was sadistic, and ultimately that Jeremiah is the victim, is the one who uh, was in fear of his life to the point where he was taken away. But as you say, we get that moment where maybe his version of events is not all that it's cracked up to be. And actually Jerome really highlighting here that this is what has led him to the point where he is now because he was neglected, he was abused, and ultimately um, he had done nothing wrong, that he was having stories made up about him. So this is really interesting. I, I suppose we won't get to the nub of that truth Uh, until later on you know is jeremiah telling the truth is jerome telling the truth or is it somewhere in between in that jeremiah just wanted to get out because he didn't want to be in the circus and he didn't want that life he is uh 
a math and science guy, not necessarily um, a trapeze artist, <laughs> uh, you know, or, or lion tamer. So yeah. it's kind of interesting uh, to get this kind of backstory between the two. Absolutely. But Jeremiah does agree when Jerome says to him, those were all made up stories that you said to our mother. He does agree that they are. He just kind of says, yeah, but you would have done things like that. So really interesting that Jerome kind of says to him, well, that was my bad day that turned me into this. I'm going to give you your bad day. So if he gives Jeremiah his bad day, does that turn him into Gotham's Joker? I reckon so. I think so. I think this is where they neatly get around the suggestion that Jerome is not the Joker. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's and it's his brother. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm so glad we got it right last week that it was a brother of uh, of Jerome that he was going to find and going to see. We had It had to be, really. Uh, they've made too many statements that Jerome is not the Joker. Every actor, every member of the cast and crew have all made these statements that Jerome's not the Joker. We now have a perfect replacement, somebody that's going to be driven mad by Jerome and become the new Joker for future Gotham. Absolutely. I really like the connection, though, between them. I, I like the fact that, you know, when Jerome breaks out as well, he understands this labyrinth that Jeremiah has created mm -hmm. and which no one else really can figure out. And if they do, it takes them too long. Uh, but he is able to do that, that there is this kind of connection or similarity, but it is the divergent paths that they've had. Uh, really, really good. Yeah. I love the moment with Jim and Harvey in there when Tetch and Scarecrow arrived to <laughs> rescue Jerome. And I think you mentioned this. It was almost Harvey's hand solo moment where he chases after Tetch and Scarecrow. It's hilarious. I love that moment as Hatter and Scarecrow are being chased down the hallways. It's really funny because the two of them are powered people. We've seen Mad Hatter control loads of people in the past. We've seen Scarecrow blow his fear toxin into someone's face and and drive them insane. Yes, you've got Harvey Bullock, uh, a slightly heavy set man who just wants a sandwich <laughs> and chasing them down the hallway and the two of them running away scared. It's a nice comedy moment for the, for the episode. It's also that moment, speaking of sandwiches, where Harvey also said, if I knew this was over three and a half acres, I would have brought a sandwich. Yeah. You know, just the, <laughs> the maze, the labyrinth of Jeremiah's underground secret bunker uh, is so massively over-engineered. Mm -hmm. I love the scenes in the the different corridors it, it really did give that sense of being lost underground you know no windows to the outside world mm -hmm. all underground really very cool yeah yeah and having echo the uh, jeremiah's proxy as we mentioned having her controlled by mad hatter and going after the the three guys jim harvey and, and jeremiah really really cool fight sequences in there with uh, with jim trying to take on echo uh really like that use of of that character in in the show hopefully we get to see her back in the future i hope so yeah, yeah. maybe a holly quinn uh, maybe maybe possibly maybe but, but there's definitely a different backstory for harley and i think harvey harley is significantly younger than Joker usually. She's uh, she's a much younger, more impressionable woman than um, than the Joker in, in the comic book. So uh, so maybe yeah. Anything else about this episode of Gotham, John? Only really just to say that you know we see Jeremiah. Uh, I love that moment where he's brought into the GCPD by Jim and Harvey, and of course everyone thinks it's uh, Jerome, mm -hmm. uh, but ultimately that he is now being taken away uh, to be put in a safe house because his other safe house had been spectacularly blown in terms of its cover. So, yeah, I mean, this probably is only going to end one way for Jeremiah, and that is badly. Yes, yes. Certainly after we come back to Oswald's house, and we have a hapless businessman that has been abducted to be the test subject for um scarecrow's new chemical compound and i love the fact that it isn't the fear toxin and it really harks back to tim burton's original movie batman with jack nicholson as the joker and this new compound causes the mouth to enlarge and to go into a very smiley smiley laughy laughy hysterical crazy way um absolutely fantastic and a slight hint of white around the face as well yeah so very very cool i love, love that i love that they brought this into the show it's really really cool john 
of all of the things that happened this week, can we pick a Gotham moment of the week? It's really, really difficult, but I have to say it is the smiley chemical compound from Scarecrow. I thought that was a fantastic moment of sheer Joker wonder, uh, seeing that face uh, come to life on this businessman. Uh, really, really interesting. And, and I think also just having Jeremiah there as well. Yeah. Um, that family connection with Jerome was just so, so good. Yeah, and I have to say the craziness and madness in the architecture firm is just hilarious as well. Really loved that moment in the episode. Uh, my Gotham character of the week, always like to highlight someone that, uh, that is a minor character in the background. Have to say Eric Echo is definitely my character of the week this yeah, week. Yeah, definitely. Um, played by Francesca Ruth Dotson. Uh, really nice to see her in, in this episode. Hopefully we'll get more of her in future. Um I don't know, maybe it was because the character was called Echo. She really reminded me of the character from Dollhouse, also called Echo, the main main character in that show, because she looked like that blank template when Mad Hatter was controlling her. She just seemed like a killing machine, which is the way you would see the dolls in Dollhouse kind of going out on missions. Just kind of had a, had a little reminder for me. Maybe that or the Terminator from uh, from one of the Terminator movies, something like that. Yeah, really, really cool yeah. um, character. Again, just... Her moment with Jerome where he's in the apartment, he thinks he's got the upper hand, Mm -hmm. and she just dispatches him to the cage like uh, a budgie. Um, (laughs) Really, really cool. I think that's our Gotham moment of the week and Gotham character of the week. John, how do you rate this episode? And will it be pun-worthy? It is massively not pun-worthy, I don't think. It's certainly Ridley, and I have to say this is another fantastic episode for me i mm-hmm. really really enjoyed it and that's why i give it five riddle factories out of five wow yes a lot I of think death and five riddle factories there is and i but i think ultimately you know this episode of gotham was so important for gotham this really tells a lot about this world it really unravels a lot of riddles that have played through gotham mm. you know who is going to be the Joker? Mm. Um, who really is Jerome? Are we going to see the Joker? How will it come about? And I think we start to get the glimpses here of what's going to happen. And that is massively exciting, I think. And it's really cool. I think, again, having this Legion of Horribles come together was just so good. And I think Cameron Monaghan playing both Jerome and Jeremiah... Probably two psychopaths in very different guises here. Mm. Swindling Jim and Harvey, who think that Jeremiah is this quiet-spoken, reserved person. And obviously the contrast is so uh, pronounced between Jeremiah and Jerome. So, fantastic. I loved the moments with Grundy and Oswald. I loved the moments with the Riddler and with Leslie Tompkins in the Riddle Factory. Yeah, All these evil villains that we've come to see over the course of four seasons really really good to see them sat down having their brunch meeting so so good and um, so that's why i'd give it five out of five excellent two episodes in a row getting five out of five but totally well deserved we have kind of screwed ourselves in our rating system john though we've given a lot of fives uh, overall not not too many we've done about four or five over the course of our our four seasons of coverage but if the episodes keep getting better each week like they're doing at the moment we're going to have to increase our scale, I think. Well, I think this season has been so solid, mm. so consistent, so good, so crazily well done that I think I'm happy giving these episodes, you know, four and five each time. I haven't given a three or a three and a half in quite a while now. Mm. And that is still a recommend as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. It's over halfway. I think anything like a two or a one would definitely be me saying avoid this or it made no sense Uh, and i I think um, anything that is solid good fantastic performances great visuals great writing great script uh, great acting all of that kind of thing and generally i will have a positive three as a minimum yeah Uh, so and certainly if i liked it so it's just been so, so good. Yeah, yeah, it's been excellent episodes. Let's get on to some feedback, John. 
Yes, our first bit of feedback comes in from voicemail from our fellow Gothamite, Claire Payne. Hello, Gotham TV podcast. Who wouldn't want a live barracuda stapled to their face if they lost at the Riddle Factory? The people of the Narrows are pretty happy about it and can't wait to win some cold hard cash. I love how they have used some of the comic. The Riddle Factory and the Riddler is possibly the best game show host ever. Lee coming in to shut him down was a surprisingly interesting move. And probably in a small percentage of people that actually like there is a genuine lust between them. I did read people's opinions on Twitter that the story has been forced, which I actually disagree with. Lee is just as intelligent as Ed. She wants to rob more than three banks and, like Ed, asks her, does she know what she's getting herself into? Of course Lee does. My scene of the week is Jerome and Jeremiah meet again after 14 years. Cameron Monaghan is an incredible actor and is playing these two characters brilliantly. Jeremiah has already lied to Jim and Harvey about Jerome used to torture him as a child. Maybe under that normalish exterior there is a crazy person brewing and I'm sure that Scarecrow's new toxin has got something to do with him being the future Joker. Even Harvey is worried about how crazy Gotham is going to get. I did laugh when Harvey ran after Tetris and Scarecrow shouted, Ah, you're not going to hypnotise me again. Great to see Alfred back this week. I just love the look Alfred gives Jim when Jim is telling Alfred off for not keeping an eye on Bruce. Also how there was a meeting between Thomas Wayne and Sander slash Jeremiah a few years back. With the Legion of Horribles now formed, it was really interesting to see how a little uncomfortable penguin was and decided straight away he needed an ally to join and that he chose to be Butch. I'm going to nominate not a character but a prop this week and it is the barrel of slaughter swamp water that convinced Butch to team up with Oswald but not as friends. Some of Oswald's promises have been a bit empty in the past but I am in hope that we will see Professor Strange again. Overall, another excellent episode with great texture and theirs and the whole cast, writing and direction was superb. Thank you very much, Claire. Yes, thank you so much, Claire. Um, I completely agree with you how um, Cameron Monaghan delivers these two characters really, really good. I love the touch that he did with Jeremiah of having the back of his hands facing outwards, bit sort of clenched around his, his stomach. Um the in, in kind of a nervous disposition kind of a way. Mm. I thought there was a really nice touch just because Jerome is so arms out, it's super thanks for asking, kind of jazz handsy. You know, he's all so um extravagant with his motions, whereas you really get here Jeremiah kind of almost sort of tensed up um it, almost like an old man in, in some ways. Right. Really, really good. The one thing I couldn't work out from the episode, I must say, is Jerome in that cell in Xander's place. When you looked around at all the walls, it is just cement walls, right? There's no door. So how did he get in and out of that room? That's <laughs> the only thing I just couldn't work out. It felt like he had been sealed into the room while he was knocked out by, by Xander, potentially. Um, but he does get out. Like, yeah, Echo it could be a secret out. door. Yeah. Or maybe it's more of a pit, possibly. Perhaps, perhaps it was through the roof. Potentially, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, thanks so much for those thoughts, Claire. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally would be interested in seeing somebody with a uh, barracuda staple to their face in future. Yes, preferably not me. Though. No, 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 definitely not. Uh, it, I think it'd be entertaining. Um, yeah, yeah. Answers on a postcard. <laughs> and also, what an interesting choice for character of the week the uh, the tub of swamp oil that uh, that Oswald brings in to convince Butch. Yes, <laughs> that's quite I know. cool. I like that. I like that. Thanks so much for that, Claire. Uh, another piece of feedback comes in from Dylan Maya over on email. Thanks so much for sending us in some email, Dylan. I haven't heard from you in a while. I'm glad you're still watching the show. Dylan says, Hi guys, finally caught up on this season. I loved the beginning of this episode with Jerome joking about the Legion of Horribles when I was thinking Legion of Doom. But of course, Jerome isn't going to say Doom. So very nice on behalf of the writers. I will say Jerome has quickly moved up my list of favourite characters as this episode showed his manic, murderous side in full force, looking for his brother, then switching to the tragic and deeply broken side once he is reunited with him. I will say, however, that it seems like Bruce has had very little to do this go-round with Jerome out of Arkham, especially in the past few episodes, as far as character progression or screen time. 
I'm just waiting to see if Bruce will finally be able to make a comeback and become the real threat to the Legion of Horribles and give Gordon and Harvey a break from being shot and hypnotised all the time. <laughs> all the best, Dylan. That's a really interesting thought. I, I kind of feel like they're holding Bruce back. He was quite central to Jerome's story last time he was out of, out of Arkham. So they're holding him back for a much bigger moment. I know you haven't seen the preview, John. I'm not going to spoil it for anybody that, has, that hasn't seen the preview for next week as well. There are some scenes coming up between uh, between Bruce and Jerome in, in the future episodes. So don't be worried just now. I think he's just being held back a little bit so that Jim and Harvey can have some moments. Uh, but I think we're going to see Bruce square off against either Jerome or Jer- Jeremiah in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, it is interesting because we do have the League of Shadows as well. So how are they going to get embroiled in this Gotham craziness? Because mm. ultimately, they are about bringing order as well. That's so, true. Um, well, they were under under Raish, but maybe Barbara has different ideas. Yeah, old crazy Babs <laughs> may do it slightly differently. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting because, yeah, I mean, there's this huge other aspect to the Gotham verse that is in Gotham at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, the Demon's Head and his League of Assassins, yeah. or Shadows, as I should say. There are more leagues in Gotham than there are in British football. Yes. <laughs> Indeed there are. Thanks so much for that feedback. Really enjoy getting getting your thoughts in about the episodes. If you want to send us any feedback, just email us at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com or pop over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash gothamtvpodcast and chat to us there about the episodes. Really looking forward to the next episode. It's going to be very exciting as uh, as we get into the rest of the season. Yes, and of course, as always, fellow detectives, please tune in, rate us and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a review because sharing the love and sharing the podcast is so, so important. Please head on over to gothamtvpodcast.com and join up with your horrible or lovely podcast catcher of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or any other good or evil podcast catcher. Yep, thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week with Gotham, A Dark Knight, Season 4, Episode 18. That's entertainment. What does that mean? Are we going to get the Barracuda stabbed to somebody's face? It could be. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. Talk to you soon. Yes, thank you so much for listening as always. I'm off for a mandatory brunch meeting. Yum, yum. And uh, we'll speak with you next time. Bye. Thanks for being a Butch supporter. Butch loves you, baby.